Hi, Caleb. Hey, Mike. How are you? I am doing reasonably well. How are you doing? I'm doing quite well. It's uh, spring is here, so I like that quite a bit. I think it's already too hot. All right. What are you drinking tonight? <laughs> uh, tonight, I am drinking a Lake George. Um, it's kind of a whiskey sour type drink. We've got mm -hmm. some uh, some Irish whiskey, some scotch, some jambouille, and some lemon. Um, it's from the jambouille? PDP book. Yeah, yeah. So what is it's, that? Uh, it's the um, like honey and like scotch, um, well, liqueur, I guess. Mm. Uh, it's like whiskey and and basically honey. Um, okay. And it's you use it in like a like a rusty nail um and some other um drinks it's a kind of like a benedictine type mixer all right yeah yeah so it's 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 kind of nice uh the, the citrus is is like you know the weather goes warmer and the citrus comes out so mm -hmm. it's uh it's all it's all on point how about you what are you drinking i'm drinking one of my new favorites the paper plane so I, it's a repeat i apologize but um i quite like it i haven't had it in a while and i had a lemon so that's what I mean. What, what is the uh, paper plane? It's um, equal parts Aperol, lemon juice, uh, bourbon, and uh, the last one is Amaro. Oh, that does sound nice. Yeah, it's got a nice orange tint and uh, very easy to remember the, the ratios. So you could <laughs> use it as a drink number two or three if you want. Probably make gotcha. it still pretty good. This is <laughs> like my first the Negroni, drink, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so yeah, um, tonight I thought we could talk about a, uh, something we've had in our list for quite a while, um, a company called Mobileye, and uh, the reason uh, now is a little bit more timely um, is that uh, they have entered into an agreement with Intel um, to be purchased. So Intel wants to buy Mobileye, and uh, the, the price is quite high. It's $15 billion, so it would be the second largest acquisition ever for Intel and uh, one of the largest tech acquisitions in over a decade. So really, really big um, deal. And we haven't ever really talked about Mobileye except sort of uh, in passing when we've talked about Tesla's autopilot. So thought we could do a deep dive on, on Mobileye, their history, and um, why it makes sense for, for uh, Intel to want to acquire them. For 15 billion with a B. Yeah, fifteen billion with a B. That's quite a lot of uh, a dollars. So we'll we'll see if we uh, at the end of it think it was worth it or will be worth it. <laughs> I'm sure they're they're going to pay attention to our to our take on it. Well, yeah, uh, they still could get out of the deal, so it could happen. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. So where would you like to start? Well, so I thought we could start with what Mobileye is and does. So Mobileye has is in the business of um, selling uh, chips to automotive OEMs uh, through suppliers for uh, driver assistance systems, um, which have now morphed into semi-autonomous type features. So they're sort of the biggest player in this market, and they control about 70% of the market worldwide for driver assistance systems. And that would be categorized as things like automatic braking, lane centering, lane keep, um, pedestrian detection, traffic light detection, uh, automatic they, high beams, all that kind of stuff. Okay. And do they uh, publish like who they work with, like which cars uh, that are out there that have these features that are, are powered by Mobileye? They do indeed. And they work with a lot of... Uh, a lot of the major car companies uh, globally. So some of them that they work with are Audi, Volvo, BMW, Honda, Nissan, Ford, Chrysler, Mazda. Um, they work with Renault. They work with Citron. Um, and they work with a few of the um, Chinese uh, new brands as well. They're also going to work with Lucid Motors, which we've covered in the past. So um, they work with many of them, and uh, they sort of got their start uh, in production systems in 2007. So they've been working in the automotive industry for, you know, a decade now. That's pretty, and that's pretty interesting. Cause I think people don't necessarily, uh, think that it's a third party that is delivering those features when they see like a Honda ad for automatic braking or the Toyota ad that shows cars swerving around obstacles, uh, by themselves. Uh, yeah. I don't think, I think people kind of associate that with the brands themselves which i'm sure is is not accidental um but i i don't i don't think 
uh, most people realize that there's a third party that's providing most of that technology. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, yeah, you're absolutely right. I remember, I remember seeing in the early days when the automatic emergency braking started coming out that, um, yeah, seeing some of the Volvo ads about how they're going to brake and thinking that was pretty, that's pretty awesome. And thinking, you know, that's Volvo engineers <laughs> designing right. and building that technology. And actually it's, it's mobile eye. And, you know, it's interesting too, that they can work with so many, uh, companies and so many of the manufacturers, because in a lot of the tech world, um, you know, the companies don't share, uh, or license technology from each other, but the car companies are used to this. They, um, they buy wheels from, from third parties, they buy tires from third parties, they buy, uh, you know, seats and all sorts of, you know, many of the thousands of different parts from hundreds of different suppliers. Uh, you know, the car companies are used to buying things and, uh, navigation screens and all that. And so as the technology for some of these, uh, sort of nice, nice to haves for lane keeping and, uh, you know, drowsiness detection came around, they turned to suppliers and mobile. I was there, um, you, you know, they actually got started all the way back in 1999. So, you know, they've been around for 18 years. Um, not, not a spring chicken in terms of technology companies. <laughs> they're also strangely located too, because they are not either in uh, Silicon Valley, nor are they in like a Detroit or Munich or other car type uh, areas. They're in like what Jerusalem is it? Yeah, so they are in Jerusalem. They are uh, headquartered in Israel, um, and one of the big reasons is uh, the two co-founders um, were actually well, at least one of them was a professor at a school there and was doing research on uh, vision systems. And one of the papers he wrote was on uh, using a monocular camera, so a single camera to detect vehicles um, using software algorithms and, and uh, uh, computer vision. And he took that paper and actually spun it out, got permission from the university to start a company. Um, and so he started it uh, with a, a guy named uh, Ziv Avram, uh, who's the CEO. And then Amnon Shashra is the uh, CTO. And so the two of them started the company in 99, and they spent just around eight years um, developing both the software uh, for detecting um, people and cars and things like that, as well as uh, developing a chip, a system on a chip uh, that they've branded IQ, um, E-Y-E-Q, so sort of a little <laughs> bit of a pun there. And uh, that would be um, a chip that would be focused on the type of processing required for, uh, for vision and running their software, and that it could be developed using really low amounts of power. So those chips use around 2.5 watts, which if you compare that to like a laptop chip or a desktop chip is actually quite low. Interesting. In, I wouldn't. I wouldn't really think of it as a power constrained environment. It seems like you have as much power as you as you'd want. It's, it's interesting that they would focus on that. Yeah. Apparently, one of the one of the challenges, both from the power constraint, is that they're really running on the twelve volt system. So even though a car has sort of the ability to fill up that battery, uh, they do have a lot of um, constraints on the type of computing they can have because they're overall wattage is actually not that not that high um and actually yeah, one i guess of the they reasons, probably have probably have heat constraints too right yeah like and then the like, other one would be heat um increases you know more wattage will create more heat um and they have to dissipate that heat behind the dashboard um and that's actually just sort of as an aside one of the reasons so many of the autonomous cars even from companies that don't really have electric vehicles are running on their hybrid systems because they can use a high voltage system from the um from the hybrid batteries because they just need more uh, electricity, more juice, uh, to run the computing in those vehicles. Um, so just sort of another reason why a lot of the, uh, uh, high-end vehicles for testing autonomy are, are hybrids because they do at least have the, uh, higher voltage systems that can, uh, power these bigger computers. Um, but back to, uh, Mobileye. So they, um, were really focused on pedestrian detection, um, and vehicle detection in the early days. And so they brought that first system, uh, to market with, um, with Volvo and BMW in 2007, um, with their first IQ one chip, which could do, uh, uh, lane, de um, lane detection, traffic sign recognition, and then auto high beams. 
and uh, and then since then they've just continually been rolling out uh, more and more chips. So like they worked with Volvo and and uh, GM on their very first products, and then in 2008 they came out with lame departure warning and traffic signs with BMW, and so pretty much every year since they've done some sort of new program like pedestrian detection and automatic emergency braking with Volvo. And then the next year they did forward collision warning. So you're about to hit something and they'll tell you and beep in BMW and GMs. And then in 2013, they had adaptive cruise control with cameras instead of radar. And one of the big insights from them was that cameras are really valuable, really useful for automotive because cameras are a lot cheaper than radar. And the price of cameras was continuing to drop, especially because they were becoming more and more used in cell phones. And so the production capacity worldwide was increasing for cameras. And also that cameras uh, are are just much more information dense um, than radar. So uh, a camera can actually see uh, lane markings on the road. There's really no other sensor that can do that. LIDAR can't do it, radar can't do it. Um, they They can detect soft bodies in a lot better way. So uh, pedestrians and small animals and small people and things like that, uh, really difficult for, for radar, um, a lot easier to do with cameras. And also that if you, like traffic lights and signs and stuff too. Yeah, exactly. There's no way that a LIDAR or radar could really detect um, those signs except for some of their shapes, but um, very, very difficult for those systems to do it. And so they really bet on this idea of computer vision. And uh, back then, deep learning wasn't really used very much. So they employed hundreds and hundreds of people to tag and build traditional uh, computer vision, as we talked about in one of our previous episodes, for recognizing from like 100 signs to 200 signs to over 1,000 traffic signs to the different types of vehicles sort of hand building these features and then encoding them into the software uh, that they would run that would be optimized for these specialized chips that they built that they would then sell as a package uh, to the to the automakers. And it was a really good business and, and has been a pretty good business. They've sort of since uh, they first started reporting their numbers before they went public. So 2011, they did about 19 million in revenue and they've pretty much doubled every year since. So 2012, they did 40 million. 2013, they did 80 million. 2014, they did 140. And 2016, uh, the last year they fully reported was $360 million in revenue. And they made $100 in profit, uh, sorry, $100 in profit. <laughs> so quite profitable. Um, and they did 6 million of their IQ3 chips, um, which was sort of the latest chips they had at the time. Um, so, you know, they were in 6 million new vehicles worldwide. And, and currently they're in over about 15 million of the 15 million vehicles on the road worldwide have Mobileye. Um, in them. So it's really broad, like over 20 manufacturers work with them in like 50 different models of vehicles. So it's likely that if you have uh, a car that has lane keeping or automatic emergency braking, it's very possible you have Mobileye um, inside your vehicle. And it's also very likely that if, well, it's 100% likely (laughs) that if you had the Autopilot 1, you also have Mobileye inside your vehicle. And um, so that's uh, you know a little bit of a history on how they got started and what they do. I think the, the the kind of intriguing thing is they don't make the cameras. The cameras they buy from someone else. They also don't have the manufacturing of the of the chips. They use a firm um, in France to actually fab the chips, um, similar to the way that Apple will design a chip and have uh, Samsung or TMC TMSC uh, build it. So their real experience is in designing the software and, uh, and also the chip design to handle that software really efficiently for this very specialized detection uh, class of problem. Almost all we've, everything we've talked about is detecting. So even something like auto high beams is about detecting that there's an oncoming car and so you want to turn off your, your high beams, for instance. Gotcha, gotcha. So they have, they're running a complete, custom silicon is that is that what you're saying they're not actually like they don't have some sort of chip that pairs with an intel cpu or something and that's why there was an intel acquisition they are completely on their own and intel is just purchasing them yep that's correct so for all of the lane keep assist automatic emergency braking all of that um they uh 
All you need is the Mobileye chip and a little uh, peripheral board they'll build with you that will then fit into your broader compute system inside your vehicle. So they work with what are called tier one suppliers. So they're a tier two supplier. So the, the, the sort of somewhat crash course, I guess, on how the automotive buying process works. So the Audi will go out to their tier one suppliers like a Delphi or AutoLeave or someone like that and say, hey, we want to do this sort of uh, automatic emergency braking. Mobileye is a supplier to Delphi, and they bring them into the conversation, and they say, cool, you want to do this, Mobileye will help, and then they take you know, 12 months or so to build the exact solution for, for the Audi or BMW or whatnot, and then uh, that will get built uh, in so the next that, model. So, do, so does Tier 2 mean they're not dealing directly with the manufacturers, that they deal with the, the supplier who deals with the manufacturer? Yep, exactly. So it's like and a bacon number. They're, they're, they're two levels removed from Kevin Bacon, or in this case, Audi. Yeah, exactly. And so that makes it simpler for the, uh, for the OEMs to not have to manage thousands of individual uh, folks. They can, they can manage some of the top, top-tier suppliers and then some specific ones they want to work with. Um, and also, it allows... Uh, one, of, one of the challenges, though, is that it means that uh, they really, from Mobileye's point of view, they really need to make sure they get through those orifices of those tier one suppliers. And, and luckily they have, but one of the things those guys have seen is that this is a really profitable business. I mean, $100 million on $300 million in, in revenue is, is pretty good. Um, they have over 50% gross margin, and that the auto industry sort of runs on 5% margin. So what's happened is that folks like um, Bosch and others have started making competitors and Delphi have as well, uh, making competitor versions of uh, automatic emergency braking. So instead of instead of saying, "Hey, we'll pull in Mobileye," they're like, "Well, we have our own solution. Uh, we can sell you BMW or an Audi." And so um, uh, this is one of the big reasons that uh, they've decided Del- um, Mobileye started working really heavily on autonomous because uh, it will keep them forefront uh, in the minds of many of these uh, automakers and. Uh, needed so that it doesn't become commoditized because there's a risk that you know there there was a guy who created the uh, intermittent wiper and uh, eventually everyone just sort of copied him and everyone now has wiper blades that are intermittent and there isn't a company that does that by themselves so (laughs) there's a risk that they just become a commodity for automatic emergency braking Um, and so they wanted to move up the stack to more complex problems like fully autonomous driving and that's sort of where tesla came in to the picture in in 2014 okay so mobileye is like you said mobileye was powering the all the autonomous or semi-autonomous features of the teslas up until the switchover in the middle of last year was it yeah and one of the things to note too is that tesla did develop some of the software themselves um but uh but but mobileye was certainly providing the iq3 chip uh, and it was the first, uh, the Model S was actually the first vehicle that the IQ3 was used in. So Tesla was at the forefront. Um, and at that point, they were both really happy to be working together because Tesla wanted to offer these new autopilot style features and Mobileye typically working with these very slow moving automakers that take three or four years to really integrate a new product and are very risk averse, um, maybe weren't willing to to use this product. And so Tesla was the first customer for this new chip. And, uh, and so this chip was like six or seven times faster than their previous one and was going to allow the level two style driving on the highway where it could do really good lane keeping, uh, the automatic emergency braking. Um, and so Tesla took the IQ3 chip. They also had the radar um, in, from Bosch and they had their ultrasonics. And so uh, they did the sensor fusion through the IQ3 chip, and then they had some of their own policy about sort of, you know, alerting the driver of certain activities and whatnot. But but Mobileye was really sort of the one who would put the bounding boxes on the vehicles and uh, and tell you where the cars were and such. And so that went pretty well for, for a year or so. Um, and then uh, we thought that, uh, okay, cool, Tesla, you know, I was following Mobileye and 
They had a new chip coming up, the IQ4, which was going to be the next chip for Tesla. And, and Mobileye thought it was going to be the next chip for Tesla. And, you know, they try and be coy about who's going to use what and when those programs are launched. But they were sort of like a very tech forward automaker is going to be using this for their fully self-driving features. Um, and that chip would have been able to handle sort of this eight camera setup. And they had even talked about this a year ago. And so in my mind, it was very clear that this IQ4 or two IQ3s were going to be what Tesla was going to use next and when they were going to do their new autopilot. And one of the precipitating events that caused the breakup was that the Joshua Brown, Florida incident um, where the car drove into the uh, semi that was crossing the lane illegally and, and he was killed. And if everyone remembers, one of the things that happened was Tesla came out and said that, oh, well, the truck is white. We couldn't see it. The sun was at a bad angle. Um, and sort of saying that there were some environmental factors that, that caused the problem. And Mobileye was saying, well, this isn't even designed. The system isn't designed to handle this sort of T-bone effect. Um, that actually what should have happened happened. That We couldn't have expected this to have stopped and the driver should have been paying attention and Tesla should have had a better system in place to make sure that the driver was paying attention. And so there was sort of some battling in the press that um, some spitting and spatting at each other. So Mobileye kind of found out that uh, the, the benefits of working with Tesla was that they were aggressive in op, adopt, and fast in adopting the technology, but the drawback was that they were uh, aggressive in, in pushing the boundaries of the technology. Yeah, and that was something they eventually felt uncomfortable with and apparently would not let Tesla continue to use the chips going forward. And Tesla wanted to not work with them anymore because they were developing their own vision system uh, to, to handle uh, and sort of replace Mobileye. And the intention, as stated by Elon Musk, was that they were going to continue using Mobileye chips for a while while they continued to train and improve the own, their Tesla's own vision system and Mobileye wasn't cool with that. And so they decided to stop supplying the IQ3 chips. And was, and, was that yeah. announcement or, or declaration made before the uh, accident or afterward? Afterwards. Okay. Yeah. So it, it seems very likely that um, the, one, one of the reasons that this is really important to, from Mobileye's point of view, is their entire sort of basis is around these systems make cars safer. And one of the things that they've done really successfully, and, and some people criticize them for this, is working with regulators uh, in the U.S. and worldwide to increase the uh, safety standards for vehicles to require active safety systems like uh, lane keeping and emergency braking and whatnot. And that uh, to, to meet a five-star safety rating, uh, you would now need to use some of these active systems. And once you put uh, that requirement in place, you now create a lot of demand for Mobileye product because <laughs> many of the companies uh, want to make sure they have a five-star rating. And so if it's now required that you have automatic emergency braking or collision warning or pedestrian then you're going to need to turn to someone to, to get that fixed for you. And these companies don't make that themselves, so they need to turn to someone. And Mobileye was the biggest supplier of this. So they sort of created their own market and accelerated the, the uh, adoption of these by making, uh, working with regulators to uh, inform them of the safety benefits and uh, encourage them to make them standard. And so in Europe now, uh, in the next few years, it's going to be standard. In the U.S., almost every automaker has agreed that in the next few years, uh, automatic emergency braking will be standard, and they're turning to Mobileye uh, to power many of those systems. So, you know, I, I don't know. What do you think of that? Does that seem shady <laughs> seems or like, good? Or well, That seems like some pretty clever uh, market positioning right there. Yeah, it's definitely... Well, so there's, there's some folks who, who find it... Um, to be uh, shakedown-esque, uh, sort of be a shame if your car didn't have a five-star rating anymore kind of situation, uh, and, and others who would applaud them for, um, you know, taking the time to educate the regulators on this. And as we found out as after the NHTSA report and also independent testing, that automatic emergency braking does really make a big difference in safety. Um, it's one of the few uh, new safety features recently that can make a big impact up to 40% on reducing forward collisions. So it's not, it's not hocus pocus, but 
Yeah, it um, seems like more of a strategic failure on the part of the large automakers who have deep enough pockets to pursue this on their own to have let themselves get completely reliant on one third-party provider. Yeah, and so I think that's one of the areas where, from from Mobileye's point of view, they have this deep relationship with many of the automakers, and now these other, the same automakers who now have to put in these systems for um, the purposes of, of safety and compliance are also struggling to figure out what they're going to do with an autonomous future. And so Mobileye has felt like they could play in that world and go from a singular camera that is really intended to detect objects and, and people and things to self-driving, which we know is obviously much more complex. And so uh, Omnon uh, has been talking about what it takes to do self-driving in his most recent talks over the past few years um, and, and on their con earnings calls and things to, to make sure people know that Mobileye is trying to play in the fully self-driving world. And they sort of see it as an evolution. Because they come from the standpoint of working with automakers, their worldview is colored by how this will actually be implemented. In contrast to uh, some some upstarts and some companies that came at it from sort of a blank slate and said, well, let's try and build full self-driving and we'll figure out how it comes to market later. And so from, from Mobileye's point of view, they see it as an evolution from these advanced uh, driver assist systems, the ADAS, where it will sort of incrementally get to uh, fully self-driving because they want to sell product every model year to these car companies and they know that those car companies aren't going to wait for a full solution. So that's why they've sort of taken this more incremental approach, um, which is actually very similar to what Tesla has done. And so I, I can't help but feel there's very similar um, sensibilities in, in both a very heavy reliance on cameras. Uh, so Tesla's view and Elon's view is you don't need LiDAR. Uh, radar and cameras and ultrasonics can get it done, and that's what Mobileye believes as well, that it will be incremental. Obviously, Tesla has continually pushed from uh, the, the sort of uh, autopilot-style features on highways, and we, we know eventually they want to move to local roads and, and the full self-driving over time, but they, they're going to release those incrementally. And, uh, and so it's, it's just sort of interesting that they philosophically, they have a similar, um, viewpoint of, of how we're going to get there. So I think it'd be cool to sort of unpack the two other components. So the sensing is what the cameras do and the radar and all that, but there's two other components that, that they talk about that I think are, are really useful and Tesla doesn't talk about them too much, but we know they're doing it. So it'd be cool to sort of compare and contrast approaches. Cool. All right. Sounds good. What are the, uh, what are their, what is the mobilized approach? Yeah. So one, one of the big things after the, so the sensing, they're going to use their historical built-in chips that they've hand coded their, uh, for detection. So they feel like they're like 99.99 good percent good at detecting cars and traffic lights and signs and all that using classical computer vision. And so Mobileye, and just to be clear, Mobileye is pure computer vision. Like Tesla is doing the fusion with radar and other sensors, but Mobileye is just purely cameras. Is that right? Yeah, their chips will do fusion for you, but their software is primarily based on the camera. Okay. Um, and, you know, because they've been around so long and they, they built their historical technology advantage in classical computer vision, they're not rewriting that with uh, neural networks, where Tesla coming at it fresh is using supervised learning for detecting cars and whatnot. So that's one difference is how you decide to put a bounding box. How do you know that's a car in front of you? How do you know that's a traffic light? Uh, they have different approaches, um, primarily because Tesla's starting now, uh, and now you would not use classical computer vision. But um, Mobileye's been doing this for over 10 years in production, and so they're just going to keep using that same approach for detection. They also believe detection's the easiest part. So um, in the world of self-driving, uh, everything that uh, Mobileye has done, they themselves admit is sort of the easiest part. So, so that's kind of interesting. The easiest so, part for them or just generally speaking? Generally, just okay. generally speaking, uh, sensing, knowing where things are, knowing where the drivable paths are, is the easiest part of the equation. And the two other parts of the equation are mapping um, and driving policy. 
So we can dig into mapping. Um, so you, you watched yeah. the video where he talked about this a bit. Could you just sort of describe what they mean by mapping? Because I think most people think about like Google Maps and, you know, navigation, but that's not really what they mean. I mean, it's, I guess, sort of is, but uh, for the most part, it's more of the creation side. Um, mm-hmm. I think what they were talking about, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but he was talking about the, uh, like, kind of what Tesla has uh, with fleet learning, where they're basically installing their system on lots of vehicles and uh, tracking where the vehicles go. Um, so GPS isn't, like, fine-grained enough to actually get enough precision in, in where the paths are for a road. So they uh, are using their systems and I guess similar to how uh, like Waze will show you where traffic is and accidents are based on crowdsourced data. Uh, This would be, they use the word crowdsourcing. I I don't know if I would really call it crowdsourcing, but essentially like having their software or their systems installed on lots of vehicles like Audis, VWs or whatever, and then feeding that back to some central server and it's all synthesized into maps and then much like when we talked about the fleet learning in a Tesla, uh, because like, you know, N number of vehicles have driven down this path, when your vehicle comes down, it knows where the preferred path is. Is that is that kind of, am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, exactly. So the, the big thing here is that, um, so obviously humans don't need a map to drive. Um, you can get in a car and drive and sort of follow the signs and get to where you need to go. Um, and, and even well, if you don't have a specific, humans. yeah, even if you don't have a super specific intention, you can, you know, you can drive. And one of the hacks, one of the uh, ways to, to get around the fact that even in the next few years, the intelligence in these computers is not going to match human level intelligence is to give the computer, give the, the uh, autonomous car an advantage. And one of those advantages would be a map so that it knows where it's, it's going, knows where it is, um, it knows where the drivable paths are, it knows where all the lanes are, it knows where you can turn left, where you can turn right. Um, and yeah, and, and oh, I'm sorry, I was going to say, to be clear, I, I don't think I specified this, but this is while humans are still driving. So basically the, the cameras are just recording what the humans are doing. Um, this is not any sort of autonomy at this point. It's just like... I guess if you imagine a, a empty grass field and like people like keep walking over it in one particular direction, like creating these desire paths through it, it'll wear down the grass and that'll essentially be what the car is learning. It's learning that people want to go in this direction. Yeah, exactly. And, and so th- they realize that you want to have these maps um, for these cars, eventually the, 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 for the full self-driving or even semi, semi-autonomous driving. And one way to get them is to uh, to use the advantage that, that Mobileye has of all these forward-facing cameras installed in all these vehicles already. Millions of them every every year are shipping with Mobileye cameras and such that if you were to have a way to upload some of that data to Mobileye, you could then build a map. And one of the things that's really cool is what they do is rather than upload like gigabytes and gigabytes of data of like the raw video, what they do is they've built in processing to actually identify what they're calling landmarks. So traffic signs, billboards, tall buildings, um, you know, anything about the scene that's fixed so that they can build uh, a reference and sort of a fingerprint for each, you know, second and each sort of uh, part of the road. So they fuse that with the GPS to get a really good idea of, okay, at this frame, with this this sort of general GPS coordinate, um, we know where you are in the world. And what they do is they then compress all that into very small bits of 2D data. Um, and apparently it's only 10 kilobytes per kilometer. So yeah, That blew me away. That seems crazy. It's super dense. So you can imagine 60 miles of driving. So, you know, a map that's 60 miles long is only one megabyte of upload. So that's really, really dense. Um, and what's important about that from Mobileye's point of view and, and in their view for their partners is the car companies don't want to pay for uh, data upload. And, they, and not many customers yet are paying for their own car upload process. And so if they want to sort of gather these maps quietly in the background, and if the car makers want to do it quietly, it needs to be really cost effective. And so that's really cost effective. I mean, a megabyte per 60 miles is, is really, really good. Um, so that's, that's sort of really 
a neat system. And Tesla's doing this as well, actually. Um, so Mobileye has their own system. Tesla has the, the 3G, 4G connections in the cars. Yep. Do you know what, uh, like, is Mobileye using some sort of, like, system on their own? Is it kind of like having a, a Kindle with the, with the WhisperNet in it? Is, it? is it just automatically transmitting behind the scenes? So this isn't happening yet. This is something that we'll be launching this year with okay. BMW and Audi. So 2 million cars for 2018 are scheduled to have it. And so those cars will already have 3G or LTE radios. And, and BMW and Audi are going to be footing the bill. Um, okay, so because, this is just going to piggyback on that. Yeah, it's going to piggyback on the data that's already happening. And the reason is because then BMW and Audi get to use the book, the sort of the map that's created as a result of everyone contributing. So the reason they're calling it crowdsourcing is, is they're saying, look, if we want to map the world and you don't want to have to pay a third-party system to sort of drive those mapping vehicles around, then... If everyone contributes, if everyone who's installing our cameras, and there's really very small incremental costs because you're already putting the camera in there for automatic emergency braking, why not let it record what the driver is driving, where they're driving, send that up to make a map, mobilize data systems or data centers automatically creating this map, and then it can pull it back down. So when you're ready to start doing the level three and level four and level five, you now will have access to this map that your customers help contribute to and Audi and GM and others as they sign on will also have this map. And none of the automakers on their own could make it and it will be global and pretty much everywhere a car drives, there'll be this map where it can localize itself. So when it's driving... One of the things that's important is GPS is great, but it's, it's A, doesn't work in all cities. It doesn't work in tunnels. And it's not accurate enough because these maps are 10, up to 10 centimeters. Sorry, they're, they're about 10 centimeters accurate. So, so you could know exactly which lane you're in and also know where in the lane you should be. So it's really, really impressive level of, of accuracy just based on those sort of landmarks. Um, and just people driving, as you mentioned, just regular people driving are going to create these maps and millions and millions of miles will be driven in the next few years and they'll have a really good map of almost everywhere that people actually want to drive. That's interesting. And I guess the the sort of radical compression in a way takes care of the privacy aspect of it too because instead of having like actual video feeds of where you're driving, it's really more of like you can almost imagine someone just transcribing it and saying, I see a, a four by six uh, sign over here and there's an overpass right here. And it's really just in a way more of just like kind of a text description of the things it saw and where they were and not a uh, video feed of where you're driving around. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. It's very sparse um, data. It's not even in like a super useful format. Um, it's not like the GPS coordinates necessarily. Um, and they also say they're going to anonymize it and all this. Um, but yeah, I think in the spectrum of privacy concerns, this wouldn't be my biggest concern, um, the way that they're collecting this data, because it's just, yeah, it's going to be very, very sparse. Um, it won't be and super And you useful. said it. it is shared across all of the manufacturers that, uh, have Mobileye installed? Is that right? Or is it just compartmentalized to each? Like, will each manufacturer have their own map or? So apparently it's going to be blended. So it, okay. that's sort of the really interesting thing. They've gotten BMW and Audi to sign on to this and they, they believe there'll be others who will sign on. So that they already are targeting 2 million cars in 2018 will be contributing to this. Uh, they call it REM, um, Road Experience Man Roadbook Experience Management. They're not very good at naming things in my opinion. <laughs> Well, um, when I hear REM, I think of REM sleep, which is yeah, really not exactly. the thing you want to be talking no. about when you're driving. Exactly. And uh, and they also have a deal with the HERE maps, which is the former Nokia mapping unit, which BMW and uh, Intel and others are contributors to or own it, actually. So that's sort of the navigation maps. So this will be a layer inside of HERE uh, as well. So anyone who, who licenses HERE could also license the, um, uh, the Mobileye maps. Uh, if, if, so it's possible that you wouldn't have to contribute, um, but it sounds like if you contribute, you get it for free. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that's really powerful. Um, so 2 million vehicles in 2018 will start. So this isn't possible yet, but we know Tesla is doing this now where they're, they're building, uh, we've seen from even like two years ago, Sterling Anderson showed a really 
detailed photo of, you know, here, the, here's an example of the map, the really high quality maps we're generating compared to a regular, like, uh, regular map. And you could see all the different lane lines and all that. And, and Elon, I think has tweeted some of those too. Um, and that sort of goes into the fleet learning of like where the curves are and all that. Right. So Tesla has already been doing this. Yeah. So they have been doing this and will continue to do it. Um, and whether or not they were inspired by Mobileye, knowing they were going to do it or not, but it, it does look like Tesla has implemented it in production faster. But as you can see, it's definitely more useful to have more cars. Um, so it's possible that Mobileye's solution will have a more complete map of the world faster. Um, one of the things we learned recently as well was that Mobileye said that it takes five passes on a, on a section before they'll add it to the map. And they think they might be able to get that down to three. But that's sort of interesting, too, that if you were to drive the same stretch of road five times, you would actually now have contributed you know, a meaningful part to the, to the map. Um, and then over time it gets adjusted as well, because the other big thing is if a road gets closed or a new exit gets opened, you want to make sure that the car in an autonomous future knows that that exit now exists or that it's closed. And so rather than having a system get updated every year or whatever, when you have a, a professional mapping company go out and do it, it'll be updated almost in real time, which is really cool. Yeah, definitely. Um, so the um, the fleet learning for the Teslas is is has a sort of I guess two functions, right? It's it's generating the maps that sort of map mapping type um, functionality, but it's also training or or feeding data to train the neural networks, right? For the actual like how to pilot the vehicle, whereas uh, Mobileye is like like we said more of a standard computer vision thing that has like models and and feature detection and stuff like that. Um, so they uh, are just using the crowdsourcing for uh, like mapping, basically. Um, That's correct. Okay, so they're so Tesla is actually getting uh, the training data out of the uh, fleet learning crowdsourcing type stuff as well. Yeah, we believe that they are um, using. Yeah, the, 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 the all indications point to the fact that they are actually monitoring people's driving behavior in the lane as well. And also what would have happened if their software was running and when people take control of the vehicle to interrupt autopilot as signals for interpreting how people are driving. And that goes to the sort of the third, yeah, the third pillar that Mobileye talks about, which is the driving policy, which is this concept of, well, okay, you can sense the world, you can see everything, you know where all the cars are, you know where all the pedestrians are, you know where the lanes are. And you know where you are in the world as a car, so you have redundancy for those sensors. But now you have to merge onto a highway uh, in, in super heavy traffic with hundreds or thousands of other human beings. How do you do that in a way that you don't cause an accident or never make it onto the highway? And, and that's driving policy. And they think that's the hardest part. Yeah, this is the driver's ed part, basically, where you're, you're basically having to learn how to drive. Yep, exactly. That That's sort of the example they've used as well of sort of this idea of, you know, the reason you go get driving lessons isn't to how to turn the steering wheel or how to notice that's a car, but what is the what is the rules of the road and what are sort of the behaviors, acceptable behaviors for, for driving. And in their view, this, they, they say this is sort of the Achilles heel of autonomous driving because um, there's really no great company no companies are really doing an amazing job with this yet um, primarily because the autonomous cars are currently following the letter of the law in almost all cases which can be problematic to road users because almost no one does <laughs> and so you'll get into these deadlock situations where no one knows what to do or the cars go really slowly in parts so they can cause accidents or cause aggression from human drivers and so it's really challenging and there are certain types of maneuvers uh, on the road, like merging into a, a, an entrance of a highway where there's also an exit, which is called a double merge. We have a lot of those here in California, and they're very, very difficult, even for a really good human driver to execute. And there's really no rules or right-of-way situations. You just have to not get into an accident. And it's very challenging for a self-driving car currently to to negotiate that sort of a, uh, of a maneuver. And they view that as sort of the really difficult part. Um, because you both need to behave like a human driver, which is not uh, 100% safe, but you also want to not crash. So it's really challenging. 
Yeah, they just need to throw a little randomization filter on there and they'll and, and aggression, I guess, and you'll you'll uh, kind of approximate a human driver. And and this is interesting because this is one of the areas they believe that uh, machine learning and deep learning is really going to have a big impact because in the early days as they started exploring this, using rules and using sort of um, uh, where you'd get all these trees created of possible outcomes and pruning the tree, use so much computational uh, power uh, or required it to so much computational power because you're, you're trying to predict what hundreds of cars are going to do. Your actions impact other people's actions and you have to plan many seconds in advance to be able to get to that spot where you need to be able to, you know, be on the highway safely. And that that was really, it, did, it wasn't working well um, with sort of a classical rules-based approach like we talked about in our... Uh, yeah, you end up with the trolley problem again. Exactly. Um, you don't know what to do. And so they've started using reinforcement learning, which is uh, different than the sort of supervised learning we've talked about in the past. But um, basically, it's sort of uh, observing. You, you have a goal, and the goal here would be to get to the other side of the road, essentially. And um, you, you train this vehicle in a simulator on, on trying to do that, and you give it points when it succeeds, and you decrement points when it fails, and you train it over hundreds of thousands of cycles. And they've uh, been doing experiments to, to make this happen. And uh, in some of their tests, they've, they've been able to do it really well, where they've sort of had that double merge. We've got cars on the right, cars on the left, and they both are trying to cross each other to get to the opposite side for an exit. And uh, one of the papers they recently published, they had like 100,000 trials. They had eight cars randomly placed on this sort of you know, quarter-mile simulated section of road. They had zero accidents. And they had a 99.8% success rate. So only 200 times did those cars not make it. And uh, when I looked at the paper, one of the things that was interesting was that a lot of the times the cars that didn't make it were randomly placed so close to the end of the roadway that it would have been like impossible to cross over. Like there was just no roadway to do it. So really kind of interesting. So are they, do you know if they're using, uh, what is the, uh, the Elon Musk, uh, Open AI, um, they have the universe system right. uh, where it, like basically like you can play like Grand Theft Auto or Gran Turismo or one of these like driving video games and you can have the system learn by by playing one of these pretty realistic physics video game driving simulators. Uh, do, do, do they mention doing anything uh, like that? Yeah, they do. Actually, that's what that's how they train. This was in a 3D simulator where they had agents using this same uh algorithm and they were all 3d vehicles in a 3d scene so oh awesome yeah the, the way that open ai uh is doing this with video games and things like gta and whatnot is very similar and what they think you need to do because reinforcement learning as we were talking about is something that is very difficult to do in the real world with real cars because one of the things that's important is that you're, you're impacting the world uh, as you make your decisions. And so you don't really want a bad reinforcement learning algorithm being tested on the roads because <laughs> it'll try and veer into someone. And then that's a failure, but it's an accident. You can't do that. So you need to do it in a simulator. Um, and so to make a really good simulator, uh, OpenAI has built a way to do that into 3D video games. So they've made a way, instead of building your own simulator in 3D system, you could use GTA 5 as a simulator for, for testing these sort of algorithms and then test them in the real world with a real car in shadow mode and see, you know, my, what might have happened. Um, so similar yeah. to how, like, airline pilots get trained, right? Like, you don't actually put uh, someone up there in a expensive plane where they can kill themselves. You go into a simulator uh, that has a pretty uh, high level of realism to it, and then you, you kind of basically play in a safe environment. Yep. And, and we know that the Tesla does millions of miles in simulators. We know that uh, Google slash Waymo now is doing lots of work in simulators published publicly. publicly. Um, and so, yeah, definitely simulated driving for a lot of this driver policy is really important. So you'd be like, well, let's put a, a, um, a brick in the middle of the road or let's put a, another stopped car and, and also see what happens. And so all these <laughs> edge cases and corner cases can also be uh, artificially created and tested. Um, and so it definitely seems like that's going to be really, really important going forward for, you know, once you can handle the straight line on the highway, now you're going to try and negotiate with uh, navigation maps of trying to take you from one exit to another. 
the car has to know how to drive like a human. And that's where this kind of work is going to come in. So mobilize working on it, but none of this is in production. So this is all right. sort of them talking about the future and how they're going to participate, but it's definitely still future, uh, future style work, um, where Tesla has to, Tesla also doesn't have any of this in production yet. Um, uh, the closest thing you could imagine Tesla has is sort of the lane change where they're trying to mimic how a human might change lanes, but that's a very small uh, slice of human driving, you know, changing lanes on a highway. And, and currently it's not even super human like it's kind of feels jerky. So there's a lot of work <laughs> to do to get to a place where we can even do the uh, highway merge, which I think will be a really good indication that we've made some some big progress on this part of the problem of driving policy yeah well and it's interesting that they by bringing it into the virtual realm and running simulations it creates this ability where it can be like hopelessly behind human level capabilities today and in six months it can be caught up because they can run so many simulations in parallel and test so many different things that humans won't experience and then who knows in a couple of years it's probably light years ahead of us yeah exactly yeah the, the likelihood that this is going to come out well when it's actually in production is quite high because the simulators, as long as the simulators are good, um, will be quite possible to do this. Um, where the object detection and whatnot, you actually need real training data uh, from the real world, and you can train that offline as well. But that's sort of a solved problem. Um, but the how these cars will interact with others is what all these companies have been spending a lot of time on. And folks like Cruise and others are really trying to make sure they can, can do well. And, and there's just so many weird things that happen on the road that the cars need to be able to handle. And, and one of the reasons why both Mobileye and Tesla feel pretty strongly that you're going to have humans in the loop for quite a while because they will need to take over if there's just something in the middle of the road and the car doesn't know what to do to pass it on the right or pass it on the left or you know if there is a, a a maneuver it can't handle having a human there uh, makes it possible for you to still benefit 90 percent of the time or 95 percent of the time from these semi-autonomous features um where you know if your road trip 100 miles TBD. <laughs> well we'll see i it's i still, still think TBD that people will be paying enough attention to do that but yeah that's true um so let's get to intel why is intel involved so um, so we talked a bit about sort of what Mobileye's done and where they're heading. And so Intel has swooped in and Intel, obviously the largest, um, well, sorry. Yeah. The largest by revenue chip manufacturer in the world, uh, Intel inside, uh, huge boom in the, in the eighties <laughs> and nineties. Um, and now one of the big challenges for Intel was that they missed the mobile revolution they they sold off all their arm holdings which were the types of chips that have been used in cell phones um and they have never really had a strong foothold in these now billions of smartphones being sold and so strategically they want to make sure they don't miss out on one of the next big computing revolutions and they think that the internet of things uh the the idea that uh objects that typically have not had computers in them will have computers in them is a big opportunity for them. And I think that makes sense. Um, and they see cars as a really big one because cars are both uh, ship in hundreds of millions of units. Um, they're very expensive, so they potentially can bear the cost of a premium chip like an Intel chip. And they will be processing lots and lots of data both locally on the vehicle, so all the sensor data coming in, as well as uh, there's going to need to be a lot of uh, server farms crunching all this data to make the maps and make the training algorithms and whatnot. So right. they see it as a really big market, and they want to make sure that they don't um, miss out to folks like NVIDIA and Qualcomm. And they typically, well, so far, they hadn't really made too much progress with cars, and so this is a, a way to get into that market. Yeah, yeah. And historically, Intel, like you say, has been like the central processing unit, the CPU uh, dominance, uh, at least on desktops and servers. And uh, when Tesla has announced that they've gone, they're going their own way, uh, they uh, have partnered with NVIDIA, which is more of a historically like graphics processor, GPU manufacturer. 
and GPUs have had, like we've, I think, talked about uh, recently in an episode, or at least at some point in our back catalog. Yeah. Um, GPUs are, are came uh, of age and really became refined as far as for, for the purposes of games uh, and game playing. And they they work in parallel. They render these incredible graphics that you that you see on your screen. Uh, and it turns out that that is also something that is very helpful in the world of neural networks and artificial intelligence. And so companies like NVIDIA are now migrating into this world of artificial intelligence, and that's why Tesla's using them. And this is also another area where Intel, uh, because they are not a graphics chip and massively parallel chip manufacturer, is also an area where they're playing catch-up and trying to, to get involved. So it's kind of a twofer for Intel. Yeah, exactly. And and so from Intel's point of view, they they sort of see this being uh potentially a seventy billion dollar market by twenty thirty. So right now it's about fifteen uh around actually it's actually thirty billion dollars. So um right now all the chips inside of cars are about thirty billion dollars a year. So it's quite a lot of money for all the chips, but that's like everything from the little chip that powers your airbag to something in the speakers and all that. So not necessarily all the central computers, but Intel sees a world where all those individual little chips in all these different parts of the car are going to be consolidated into central computing and that they want to be there, like you were saying. And they see a risk that folks like NVIDIA, which have these very massively parallel processing units that can chomp through graphical data uh, that, that Intel will potentially miss out on that opportunity. And one of the other things that their CEO said on the earnings call or sort of the announcement call was, look, we, we need to make sure if we want to be there for 2021 models, we need to be in those conversations now. And we don't, the, the underpinning of this, he didn't say it was, they don't have offerings that would make them competitive for these semi-autonomous and autonomous car programs. And so if they want to have any impact in this market, um, they need to be able to make a, a, an offering now because it takes four years plus to have anything happen in the car world. And they feel like they might miss out if they don't do something now because those companies will continue with their partners they've chosen for their early pilots. And so Mobileye had a partnership with Intel and Delphi, and they also had a partnership with um, Intel and BMW. And uh, like we were saying, Mobileye was going to power the vision side of the, the processing power, and Intel was going to do the driving policy um, side of the house with their x86 chips. And so now Intel gets to go to a go to an OEM or a tier one supplier and say, look, we've got the full solution. We can do the processing for the vision and sensor fusion, and we can also provide you the brain ai brain for the sense the sort of the figuring out where the car needs to go and the ai in the car and oh by the way we can also sell you these really expensive servers to uh, process all this data uh, that you want to use uh, that's going to be coming from all these cars in your fleet so from their point of view it's really important because you know mobilize isn't that big they've got 350 million in sales and Intel has like what was it? Hold on, it was something crazy. Um, Intel has yeah. Like, so Intel's so Intel gives Mobileye a lot more heft here, right? So like that this isn't going to be a small. They they've got the weight of Intel behind them now. Yes, exactly. Um, and so now they can go into any of these conversations, and Intel salespeople and and uh, sort of the trust of Intel is definitely quite high. Um, and so, they just the chip manufacturing prowess too. Intel runs their own chip fab, so basically one of the big losers here is going to be whatever that French company was that was doing the manufacturing for Mobileye, because they're probably going to get pushed right to the side. Yes, yes, and so Intel will be able to fab this at uh, much smaller nanometer features. So the actual way that these chips are made they they were sort of at a 20 nanometer which isn't state-of-the-art i think it's like 12 or 14 yeah, sort of state-of-the-art big yeah. so they'll be able to do it at a much smaller feature size which means they can pack in more transistors so it'll go faster and they also use less power um and yeah i mean from from intel's point of view this isn't going to contribute much to their revenue intel has 60 billion dollars in revenue last year so <laughs> Um, it's a sort of drop in the bucket, but it's really about the future uh, of where where they think this is a sort of a big market opportunity. 
And yeah, I think this is a way to really quickly accelerate their efforts. And um, now Intel works not just with 10 or 20 automotive companies, but sort of all the major OEMs that matter. Intel via Mobileye has relationships with them, and now they can sell them all their new products with a much bigger sales team and uh, invest a lot more money. I mean, Intel has really big R&D budgets. They, they, they spend one, they're one of the biggest spenders of R&D. So they're very used to spending money on, t on tech and R&D and engineers. And so we all know that uh, getting autonomous vehicles out there is taking a lot of cash, a lot of engineers, and a lot of research. And so they're going to be able to pour the money in to make sure that Intel has one of the best self-driving solutions. So I think it's really interesting. I think it definitely increases the likelihood that Mobileye is going to continue to be an important player um, in the autonomous space. And I think it's great that now Intel will have a chance to um, have an offering that will be in BMWs and Audis and others potentially, um, just having a, another legitimate player in comparison to just, you know, NVIDIA. So, yeah, cool. I think it's so the, a really big but deal. The, yeah, yeah. So in the, but the... I guess to to kind of circle it full circle here, the um, the impact of Tesla though is there is no impact because Tesla moved off of Mobileye, uh, and so this will only impact Tesla in so much as it might accelerate the efforts of their competitors like yeah. Lucid or any of the existing huge manufacturers. Yeah, exactly. I think this this uh, if it's successful from Intel's point of view, it would accelerate the. Uh, advent of these autonomous features and uh, and so yeah from tesla's point of view it would mean more more companies will have high quality self-driving features sooner and uh, tesla is building all this software in-house now so it will be tesla's engineering team versus intel's engineering team and so you know from a pure analyst point of view i think a lot of people will say that intel will clearly have an advantage because they have more money to spend they're much bigger than tesla much more spending much more engineering really strong engineering history uh but this is only one of many initiatives that intel has and for tesla well, and it's the, sort of critical and they're less uh vertically integrated right because they are actually just delivering a subsystem for the actual auto manufacturers whereas tesla from the car all the way down to the software it's all them so they can that gives them the ability to move faster to have tighter feedback loops and to iterate more quickly yep exactly and, and even if the intel software was great and uh and amazing it would still probably take two years for it to become available to customers so yeah, it, it'll be very difficult for them to be at parity, even if Tesla were two years behind, say. <laughs> so, um, yeah, well, the timing aspect have this, of it. They might have the issue, too, of like they want to sell the systems. So they have pretty much no incentive for the update in place policies that Tesla has. So you might end up with sort of annual like revs of a system and different versions, whereas Teslas are all kind of contributing to uh a albeit smaller fleet but a fleet that is consistent across it and advancing on at a steady rate yeah and you have a double problem so you don't even not only is there intel and mobile wanting to sell their next version of their chip that will have more capabilities that they can charge more for but then you also have the automakers who don't want to push updates mid-cycle because they'd prefer to save new features for a new model year to get people to want to buy that version versus someone else's. Right. And so, yeah, you've got a double negative incentive for the customer of wanting to hold back features for a declared model year where Tesla is pushing software updates to their entire fleet and uh, and sharing that as soon as they feel like it's available. And I think this is definitely one of the reasons that they needed to break up with mobilize uh, mobilize was not going to be releasing a lot of the features they wanted on the chips fast enough um, and so they wanted to go to a more general purpose computing system like an nvidia or amd which had uh, the ati cards um, where it's just a dumb computer but really fast and they could run their software that they wrote in-house to do what they wanted and release it at whatever cadence they felt comfortable and regulators wouldn't stop them unless it was really really bad um right and it's it only their a, reputation 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I, they've like clearly identified the autonomy and the autonomous system as like critical to their future. So obviously, you want to have as much control over that as possible. And if you can bring it in house, that's the best way to do that. Yeah, and and I think that the very recent updates that have been happening to the Teslas show that they have been making pretty good progress, uh, pretty quickly. Even though it hasn't come as fast as they had hoped, um, I think that it's interesting that now the new autopilot on the version 8.1 on highways at least uh, the reports have been that it's been pretty good and almost autopilot one level on highways and that's sort of maybe with a year's worth of effort from tesla's point of view on their software and uh that's compared to mobilize 18 years of effort on their (laughs) software obviously it's not all it wasn't always towards that point of view, and obviously things get easier once you know how they're done and you have much better computers. But it is interesting that Tesla has a feature still better than what other car companies have, and Mobileye was just purchased but for $15 billion to provide that sort of software to other automakers. Um, I think, I mean, there's one way you, way you say, well, it clearly shouldn't be worth that much because Tesla probably isn't that worth that much from just a software point of view or you say tesla is being undervalued from the software point of view the challenge there obviously is that tesla doesn't want to sell this to other automakers so right. you, you can't value it that same way because mobile slash intel now get to sell it to everyone else so it's sort of the android versus ios where apple has their own software that's only available on their hardware so whatever value is ascribed to the ios it's really just for what what they can drive hardware for where they're going to now be able to sell it to every single other manufacturer. And uh, I think I think this means Mobileye is not going away um, and that they're <laughs> going to continue. I, I don't see Intel shutting down this initiative after spending $15 billion. So it'll be fun to watch. They probably won't reveal as much information as they have, but um, we'll, we'll keep tabs on it. But there was nothing... Uh, oh, I guess, lastly, the things that I thought were really cool that were coming uh, from Mobileye that I'm sure Tesla's, and we know Tesla's working on, was the um, uh, highway sort of changing lanes automatically based on the speed and um, exiting and entrance ent- entering the highways, which we believe are coming with the advanced autopilot. So they had some video demos of that. It looked great. So I'm really excited for that to come on the Teslas, hopefully before the Model 3 comes. But um, yeah. <laughs> We'll keep an eye on on uh, this and see if it closes. It probably will close in the next few months, but it's still not fully, fully signed. But both parties are happening. To go with the deal. Yeah, exactly. The world is moving forward. It's going to happen faster and faster. Oh, man. I can't wait. I can't wait to see these here maps, these, these really high-end maps out there and just, I just learning more the, about them. I just hope we get to uh, electric vehicles, fully electric vehicles, before we get to full autonomy because... As I've, I think I mentioned in the past, I'm, I, I'm convinced that uh, fully autonomous gasoline vehicles are kind of an environmental doomsday scenario. So uh, at least here in America. So, yeah, let's 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 hope that uh, batteries also uh, advance quickly enough. Yeah, I think I think I have a, I have a hunch that will happen uh, primarily because they're going to want to create a reason for people to buy these electric cars and they might withhold these features just so they make the electric cars more more appealing. Fingers crossed. All right. Fingers crossed. Um, <laughs> so if people want to uh, reach out and, and, and kind of uh, opine on this, or if you are part of Mobileye and you want to dish some uh, inside scoops, uh, where can they reach us? You can contact us on the website, theteslashow.com privately. You can also leave a comment on the website for each individual episode. We are on Twitter at The Tesla Show if you want to send a short 140-character tweet to us. Or if you want to uh, message us on Reddit and you're into that, we are at r slash The Tesla Show. And that is the main ways to get in touch with us. <laughs> Those are Excellent. Them. All right. Well, I'll talk to you later, Caleb. All right. Talk to you later. Bye, Mike.